بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطيبين الطاهرين الحمد لله we are able to have once again our reflections on سورة القمان we have reached the verse twenty five from this verse we have a passage including several verses about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's qualities of creatorship, ownership, knowledge, and lordship. Let us start first with the verse 25. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم ولئن سألتهم من خلق السماوات والأرض ليقولن الله قل الحمد لله بل أكثرهم لا يعلمون And if you ask them them here refers to the pagans to the polities, to the people who didn't believe in God of Abraham, in God of Islam. They used to worship idols. But Allah says that if you really challenge them, if you really question them, that who has created the skies and the earth? They would not be able to say that our idols have created the skies and the earth. Because they know that they have themselves created their idols. When it comes to creatorship, no one would be able to say that the idols have created the world. Maybe they attach some significance to their idols. For example, they say this idol helps in having more sustenance. This idol helps in having peace. This idol helps in having more rain, but they would not be able to say that the idols are responsible for creation. Something that is very interesting, and actually I was thinking about it yesterday, you know, we are approaching the day of Mab'ath, when the Prophet ﷺ was raised as a prophet, and those early verses that very first verses that the Prophet received, as you know, are from Surah Alaq. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Prophet, اقرأ بسم ربك الذي خلق خلق الإنسان من علق Recite, read in the name of your Lord who has created very important. Among all different qualities that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, right at the beginning of the revelation of the Quran, he emphasizes on the fact that he is the Lord who has created. He has created everything and in particular he has created human beings. So to believe in God the Almighty as creator is such a fundamental thing that right from the beginning you have to 
remember and this should continue till the very end of our life. So Allah says, if you ask them, who has created the skies and the earth? They would have certainly said, God, the Almighty, Allah. Alhamdulillah. Say, all praise is due to Allah. All good comes from Him, and therefore all praise is due to Him. بَلْ أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Nay, most of them do not know. So, although if you really ask them and challenge them, they would say that it is God who has created the world and everything good which exists come from Him. Unfortunately, this has not become an active knowledge in their mind. It's buried. It's hidden. You need someone to come and awaken these people. You need someone to come and raise this knowledge again. Amir al-Mu'mineen alayhi salam explaining the role of the prophets in Nahjul Balagha. He says that one of the jobs of the prophets was يُثِيرُ لَهُمْ دَفَائِنَ الْعُهُولِ was to dig to bring out those rational and intellectual understandings which are buried which are hidden beneath tons of sand and soil. It's like, you know, when you have a treasure, and a treasury, and you want to put it in a very safe place. So sometimes in the past, they used to dig a hole and put that inside and then cover it again with the soil. So this is human reason. This is human aql, which unfortunately in most of the cases, including today, it's covered, it's hidden by superstitious ideas, by baseless ideas, by emotions, by anger and excessive love, by customs, by certain types of culture that do not let someone properly refer to his reason. The prophets come as liberators. They come to release our reason which is imprisoned. Now we say after Dua'i Sabah that Allahi qalbi mahjub wa nafsi ma'yub wa aqli maghloob wa hawa'i ghadir. Oh Allah, my heart is wailed. Is blocked. My soul has deficiencies, deficiencies, and my reason, my intellect is defeated. 
and my lust and lower desires and appetites are winners. They have overpowered. They have taken as captive my reason. So we need a liberator to come. And that is the job of the prophets. They have come to remove all these obstacles. Something we find about the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and it's all related to this important occasion of Mab'ath, which here for us would be tomorrow, is that the Quran says the Prophet وسلم, was doing several things. One was Ya'murhum bil ma'roof wa yanhahum munkar. He enjoined the people to observe the good and refrain from the bad, from the ugly, from the evil. Look at this beautiful language. In Islam, we don't have any problem with any person or any action or any object unless if it is evil, if it is ugly, if it is used, it's a, sorry, harmful not useful for our progress. It's not that certain things without having any basis in reality have become obligatory and certain things have become prohibited and we follow this blindedly. No. Everything which is nice, everything which is pleasant, everything which is useful is recommended or urged. Everything which is bad, everything which is harmful, unpleasant, annoying, hurting and harming is prohibited or disliked depending on the amount of harm and the extent to which it harms. So this is why we say Al-Amru Bil-Ma'roof. Ma'roof means something which is recognized by the public by rational people, not by sinful people, by rational people as such, to be good. You don't need to be a religious person. If you are in your God-given state and condition of heart, if you have that state of purity that every human being to begin with has, you would realize that certain things are bad, certain things are good. To be kind to your parents, to be care, caring for your children, for the vulnerable, for the elder, for the old people, for the ill people, to help the poor and needy ones, to keep your promises, to be uh, not selfish, to deliver the trust back. These are the things that you find it by your own heart and conscience. So everything, if you expose it to your heart, to yourself, you will see that it is good, it is pleasant, it brings joy, it brings peace to your heart. So that is good. That is ma'roof. And Islam only wants you to do ma'roof. And anything which is bad, anything which brings tension, which brings pain into your heart, which disturbs you and the lives of others, it is bad. And Islam says, don't do it. All the obligations that we have in Islam are just to safeguard our real interests, are just to encourage us to do what is beautiful and to keep away from what is ugly, to do what is godly and not satanic.
سو یامر ہوں مل معروف و ینہا ہوں منکر و یوحل الحم الطیبات و یوحرم علیہم الخبائث The Prophet has come to tell us that those things which are tayyib, those things which are beautiful, which are nice, which are pleasant, which are good, these are halal for you. And those things which are khabith, which are ugly, which are unpleasant, which are bad, which are harmful, these are haram. You shouldn't eat them, you shouldn't drink them, you shouldn't do them. We shouldn't eat or drink blood or dirty things. In the same way, Islam says that there are things that you may not understand that they are dirty or they are harmful for your health, whether physical or spiritual, but they are the same. Drinking alcohol and drinking blood is the same. Maybe you don't understand, but you should believe that really they are the same. It's not that God the Almighty without reason says that you should not drink alcohol. Or for example, when it comes to backbiting, ghaybah, Allah says, this is like eating the dead brother's flesh. Is anyone interested in even thinking about this? So why we still commit backbiting? Because we don't understand the ugliness of the action. If we knew that how ugly it is, we would never even thought about it, let alone practice it. So, the Prophet has come just as a reminder of what we ourselves can understand by our conscience, by our pure heart, to be good so that we do it, or to be bad so that we keep away from it. Of course, on top of that, he teaches us something new. As we say in the Quran, He also teaches us something that we cannot understand by ourselves. But the very basis of everything is those things that even you can understand without religion. And that is indeed the beginning. That is the departure point. You have to build everything upon those things that you understand as a human being. So, this is the job of the prophets. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَيَضَعُ عَنْهُمْ إِسْرَهُمْ وَالْأَغْلَالَ الَّتِي كَانَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ One of the things that this prophet does is that he removes all the chains. You know, we are all chained up. There are locks and chains that have kept us as captive. We cannot move, we cannot think properly, we cannot behave properly because of the pressure of ignorance, the pressure of emotions which are excessive, the pressure of the superstitious idea, the pressure of the wrong culture, the pressure of the bad customs, the pressure of the peer, the pressure of the famous people, the pressure of the society. So many things that has made us a very weak and vulnerable human being which is imprisoned. The Prophet sends us invitation for liberation. He says, come, I will help you to be liberated. But you want, must want yourself. If you don't want yourself, I cannot liberate you. I am there to help you, provided that you want to be liberated. I make you a free person. The only time you can really be free is when you are able to stand on your feet and think of God the Almighty. He is the only one 
that only wants everything for us, not for himself. He doesn't gain anything. And also he doesn't have anyone that he says, okay, you have to do this for the sake of my children or for the sake of my friends. No, anything that you do is for your own benefit. And ahsantum ahsantum anfusakum. If you do something good, you are doing this good for yourself. He only wants your good. And he only wants you to do something to, so that he has some excuse to give you more. So that the people who are not receiving would not you know, say, why you know, we are not treated equally. Allah says, okay, this person has done a little, so I want to give him plenty. You do a little also, I give you the same. So, Islam is a religion which has come to liberate us. Islam is a religion which gives our honor back. Islam is not to make us weak or to make us deprived of our human dignity. No. All the honor and dignity comes when you are connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Imam Ali salam says, Ilahi kafa bi izzanan akuna laka abda wa kafa bi fakhranan takuna li rabba. It suffices me as honor to have you as my Lord and to be your servant. I don't want to be servant of anyone other than the Lord of the world. The one that does not need anyone. And everyone needs him, and everyone by attaching himself to him wants to gain honor and pride. So, the people who do not believe in God the Almighty, at least they think they do not believe, maybe deep in their conscience they believe, but they don't express it, they don't acknowledge it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that if you know how to approach them and how to put a serious question to them, even they would be willing to admit that it is only Allah who has created the world and the earth. And this is very important success, very important step toward establishing a mutual understanding. If they admit that it is Allah who is the creator of the world. Well, alhamdulillah, so all praise to Allah for what he has and for this agreement. But the problem is, unfortunately, many of them are not awake, they don't know, they don't realize. You need a reminder, you need a person to awaken them. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the verse 26, لِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضُ إِنَّ اللَّهُ وَالْغَنِيُّ الْحَمِيدُ To Allah belongs whatever is in the skies and the earth. So it means that the skies and the earth and everything inside them belongs to Allah. It's not that just the skies and the earth. Everything in between also. You know, sometimes I have a room, but another person puts his goods in my room. So the goods do not belong to me. It's only the room. But in the case of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the whole world belongs to him. The skies and the earth, whatever is inside them, they all belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is the question of ownership. So not only he is the creator, but he owns everything. It's not that he has created them and then left them. He has created them and then delegated authority to someone else. No, he is the creator and he is still in charge. Indeed, 
if we are equipped with some philosophical knowledge, we know that creation is an ongoing process. You shouldn't think that God created in some point uh, time, and then now he just keeps them. No, creation is renewed. It's constantly renewed. It's like a flowing river. Water is not fixed. Always fresh water is coming. Every day he is doing something. Of course, it doesn't mean that he is changing. No, this is the way we understand his action. He has only one action. But when we reflect on that action, we find it that that action is expressing and exhibiting itself to us in a gradual process. So, he is always creating. For us not to be here, for animals, plants, anything that you think, not to be here, he doesn't need to destroy us. He doesn't need to come and fight against us. He just needs to not will. If he doesn't will to have us, if he doesn't will to create us, so the next moment we are not there. And I'm saying next moment, this is not an accurate you know, expression, but I don't have any choice. So, as soon as he even forgets us, we are finished. He doesn't need you know, to fight us. He doesn't need to make plans against us. If he just stops sending his mercy to us, we are finished. So, now you can realize that how easy it is to understand that everything belongs to him. Truly Allah is the rich and the praised one. He is the rich because he has no need. And at the same time he is praised. Because sometimes the rich people may not be necessarily praiseworthy. How they have achieved this richness? How they use this money of you know, properties, wealth that they have? These are all to be studied. So we don't say that every rich person is a good person. But in the case of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his richness and praiseworthiness come together. So he is the rich and at the same time the praised one. Everything that he has is a good quality. is a kind of perfection. And he has it at his, in, in a very highest level, in the absolute sense. So we should praise him. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Something about his knowledge and about the extent of his creation. وَلَوْ أَنَّمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ مِنْ شَجَرَةٍ أَقْلَامٌ If every tree that exists in the world in this earth, in this planet at least. Imagine if all the trees that we have were made pens. How many pens you know you can make from one tree? Then imagine if there are many trees. If you make them all pens. And then if you make all oceans into ink. For writing, you need pen and ink. And not only all the oceans which we have today, even if you add 70 uh, sorry, seven times 
more to them. So seven times more than the water that we have in seas and oceans. Because you know you don't need that much to change the pen, but the, you may run out of the ink. So this is why Allah doesn't say to add seven times to the number of the pens uh, or trees out of which you make pens. Because pens you can still keep using them. What is important is to make sure that you don't run out of uh, ink. Sometimes you know you buy extra ink or refill ink and still use your pen. You don't need to every time change your pen. So, if imagine all the trees are made into pens. All the waters of the oceans are made into ink and seven times more. And then you want to write down to make a list to register words of God. The things which express the will of God. And here word means something which is created by God, a creature of God. Because every creature of God speaks about aspects of God's perfection. You know that in the Quran, Isa Allah is considered as a word of God. But it's not only Isa We have this expression of Kalimatullah for all creations of God and in particular for those which are best, which are the best human beings like Jesus, like Moses, like Muhammad Ahlul Bayt. Indeed about the Ahlul Bayt we have in many hadiths and du'as that these are Kalimatun Tammah. These are complete words of God. I don't have time to go into that discussion, but basically you have to remember that here words of God doesn't mean <coughs> words which are uttered by tongue or lips. It doesn't even refer to the words which are created by creation of a sound. Like the time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talked to Moses from a tree. No, word of God here means the creation of God. Because when God wants to create something, He says, Qul. Uh, sorry, He says, Kun fayakun. Innama amruhu. Iza arada shayyan an yagula lahu. Kun fayakun. When He wants to create something, He says, Be, and there it is. This word creates. So everything which is created is a result of the word and can be considered as a word also because it discloses some qualities of God. You know, like a paint. Painting, when you have a painting, it shows some of the perfections and skills of the person who has painted this. If you have a book, it shows some of the perfections of the author. Some of the things that he can do. Of course, he may be able to do more, but at least this is the minimum that he can do. So every creation of God, according to its capacity, according to its level of perfection, shows us part of the perfection of Allah. But Allah can be much more perfect, of course. So this is why everything is considered as ayah, as a sign for God. It's also a word for God. So, if you have all these trees as pens, if you have all the ocean water and add it seven, you know, multiply it seven times as ink, 
and you want to register all the creatures of God, ma nafidat kalimatullah, still you would not be able to come to an end. The words of God would not come to an end. They would not be exhausted. Inna Allah azizun hakim. Surely, truly, Allah is mighty and wise. So, this shows that how great is His creation and, of course, His knowledge because everything that He creates is through His knowledge. So, He has knowledge about how to create, He has knowledge about how to keep them, how to run them, how to manage them. So, we are absolutely humble when we think of the extent of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. مَا نَفِدَتْ كَلِمَاتُ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to, because now it, everything is set, we know about Him being the Creator, we know about Him being the owner of the skies and the earth and everything which is there, we know that He's rich and praised, we know that how great and magnificent is His creation, we know that he is Aziz, he is mighty, he is wise. So now that we know everything that we need, it's the best time to talk about resurrection. Sometimes people have no um, willingness to accept the possibility of being raised again. They say, how is it possible to be raised again? How is it possible to be resurrected? How billions of people are going to be resurrected again? And even if we are resurrected, who is going to remember what every person has done and then therefore reward or punish them accordingly? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the verse 28, مَا خَلْقُكُمْ وَلَا بَعْفُكُمْ إِلَّا كَنَفْسَ وَاحِدَةً Neither your creation, which is the first time you are created, nor your raising, resurrection, which is the second time that you are going to be given life, is anything but as a single soul. So, it's like creating a one person. If you create a person for the first time, would it be more difficult to create it for the second time or the third time? No. In a sense, you can say it's even easier because you have experience. Of course, we don't say it's easier for God because for God there is no sense of being easier or more difficult. Everything is the same. But, you know, if you want to look at it from a human perspective, why you are surprised? Indeed, you have to say, oh, this is easier, because God now has experience. God once created us. So he has a model, he has all the records about how he has created them and how it has worked. Of course, you know, I'm saying again, this is not really what is the case for God, but from a human perspective, if you want to consider God as a person, because you say it's difficult, you know, for him, how can he do this? Indeed, it's opposite. The action by itself is easier. Not that for God is easier, but the action by itself is easier. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَا خَلْقُكُمْ وَلَا بَعْفُكُمْ إِلَّا كَنَفْسُ وَاحِدَةً Neither your creation nor your resurrection is except one soul, creating one person. إِنَّ اللَّهَ سَمِيعٌ بَسِيرٌ Truly, God is hearing and knowing, or sorry, seeing. Because knowing comes here through hearing and seeing. So, God is aware of everything that you say, 
God is aware of everything that happens because he's also uh, able to see. Of course, not by eyes. It means that he has so uh, perfect knowledge, such a detailed knowledge, that he is like a person we sing. Because we human beings, you know, uh, when we see something, we feel very satisfied. We feel that, oh, this is the time that I can be 100% sure about the reality. So this is why sometimes, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even for the things which are material, he uses the concept of ru'ya, which means vision. You know, even for the things which are not material, it cannot be by physical eyes. For example, when Allah talks about the Prophet wasallam, says that, لَقَدْ رَآهُ Or لَقَدْ, for example, بِالْأُفُقِ الْمُبِينَ For example, he saw it in a, a clear horizon. Or مَا زَاغَ الْبَصَرُ وَمَا طَغَى Things like this, which we all relate to eyes, but these are not physical eyes, these are eyes of the heart, eyes of the breast. So, in any case, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sami' is hearing. It means that he has all the knowledge about the things which are heard, and he is seeing, he has the, all the knowledge about the things which can be seen, without him having ear or eyes. So, he has absolute knowledge about everything that we say, about everything that we do. So don't be surprised if Allah is going to punish or reward us. If He's going to return and judge us. Don't be surprised. He has everything uh, you know, with Him. So I think uh, this verse 28 is very easily understood here because of all the previous verses that have set up the ground for saying that for God as the creator, as the owner, as the knowledgeable, as the powerful uh, Lord, it would not be difficult to uh, raise us and resurrect us again. And this idea of resurrection and belief in resurrection is very fundamental, you know, without really remembering the death, without really remembering that we are going to accountable for what we perform, we would not be benefiting from our life, we would not appreciate our life, we would not be always trying to be alert and cautious. We would waste our time, we would spoil our life. This is why so many verses in the Quran talk about the resurrection, because it's the only time that you can make sure that you appreciate this short period of life that you have in order to have eternal happiness. The I, the Ayatollah uh, Makarim's book, which is Tafsir al-Namune, has a hadith about uh, some of the verses that we recited today, and in particular about verse 25, and I thought I should share with you this. So I'm quoting this from Tafsir al-Namune, volume 17, page 74. Of course, it's the Farsi edition. Unfortunately, it's not translated in English except a you know, very brief you know, edition of that. Uh, he quotes from Tafsir of Ali ibn Ibrahim al-Ummi, who is a very uh, old Tafsir of the Quran and mostly based on Hadith. He says that a group of the Jews uh, used to ask the Prophet about Ruh, about a script. And the Prophet وسلم, as you know, was asked by Allah to tell them that Ruh is 
something which belongs to Allah's, to my Lord's affairs or command, and you are not given knowledge except a little. قُلِ الرُّوحُ مِنْ أَمْرُ رَبِّي وَمَا أُوْتِيْتُمْ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا So basically the Prophet didn't go into details to answer them what is really a spirit, what is really his ruh. He said this is something which belongs to my Lord's you know, realm and command and you are not given knowledge except little. So this was something not easy for them to take it. They say, why you say we are not given knowledge except little? We have Torah, so we know many things. Your own Quran says that if someone is given wisdom, has been given a lot, so Torah is hikmah. You yourself have also Quran, so you have also a lot. Why you say that you don't have any knowledge except a little? Is there a contradiction here? So this verse was revealed. The verse 27 was revealed to refute this you know, idea that the amount of knowledge that you have is nothing. If you had all the trees made into pens and all the oceans into ink and you add it more and more, seven times more, it becomes, still you will not be able to make a list of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and all the knowledge that Allah has about this. So your knowledge is just a drop in an ocean. So this is also a hadith that I wanted to share with you to explain that historically also there was you know, a discussion and this verse uh, relates to that discussion. But of course we know that these incidents or events of revelation do not restrict or limit the verses. These are just you know, some like excuses, like some occasions on which the verses were revealed. But to understand the verses, we have to follow <coughs> their own meaning and their own uh, interpretation. Okay, so I stop here, and perhaps if you have, you know, questions, you know, we can address your questions. And inshallah, for the next session, we will talk about. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's role in uh, arranging and managing time, day and night, sun and moon, and how everything is moving towards its fixed end, and then finally about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being the true, which is absolutely important, and I hope that inshallah for the next session, we can talk a little bit about the idea of truth in Islam and truthfulness in Islam, inshallah. Because in the verse uh, 30, which we will study, inshallah, next week, because we will start from 29, inshallah, uh, next session, Allah says, It is because Allah is the truth. So, inshallah, I am going to talk about truth and truthfulness in Islam based on that as a practical lesson for us. Okay, let me talk about some of your questions. The first question was sent during the week. Assalamu alaikum Sheikh, alaikum assalam rahmatullah. I do not take salat seriously while a youth and have no idea how many prayers I have missed. What do you suggest? Okay, you should 
think and remember, try to remember, you know, how many years, how many months you didn't say prayer. At the end, if you are not sure, you do that much that you are certain. So, for example, if you say that definitely it was, for example, 100 prayers, but maybe it was 110. So, 100 is necessary. So, you do the minimum. Normally, Maharaja say, this is the amount that you are certain which is obligatory. Of course, if you want to be on the safe side, you can do you know, as much uh, that you think is likely so that you don't take any risk. But according to Maharaja, normally the idea is that for Qaza, you do it as much as you are sure that it has become Qaza. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is merciful and inshallah he will accept your prayers and inshallah will give you lots of reward for that. Could you advise on giving charity? For example, we Khojas typically give money to charity to the poor in East Africa. But is it, not more, is it not more recommended for us to give money to the Muslim in need and local community first? Same applies to natural disasters in other parts of the world. Should we not help our community first? Yes. First of all, it's important to give charity. More important than what your money does for the person who receives is what your money does with you. So you are the main beneficiary. So when you give a money for charity, it automatically starts purifying you. It starts sorting out the problem for you. It starts bringing light to you as you know we have in hadith that as zakatu nurun giving alms is light so this is the first issue so don't be afraid of giving charity because you are not sure where to spend it give charity even if you don't know a particular for example place or case to spend your charity leave it aside from your possession always you know do this till you find an appropriate place to spend because the fact that you say okay this is not any more mine, this is what I want to keep it uh, separate from my money for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it brings light to you. Especially if you can do it in, for example, you know, in the night of Qadr or night of Jum'ah, these kinds of times, month of Sha'ban, these are very important. But always try to give, you know, something or leave aside something. And the late Ayatollah Bahjad was uh, emphasizing on giving regularly, even if it is little, so instead of giving, for example, you know, $100 a year or $1,000 a year, try to give something, maybe $1 every day, maybe $10. It depends on, of course, how much you can afford. But if it is more regular, it's very important. And then we have the issue of how to spend. We have to be very wise. We have to spend it in the best way. We shouldn't waste this money because there are people who are in need. We have to find what is the greatest, you know, um, opportunity for spending money. So here there are certain elements to observe. One is that the people who are uh, our relatives, we, are, we have more responsibility for them. For example, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, because you know, I am aware of the needs of my relatives, but maybe the people who are not their relatives, they don't know, and these people don't tell them. So when we are in a family, 
chance that we know about each other is much more. So I shouldn't say I don't help them. Hopefully someone would know that they are in need. And also we have this uh, responsibility of, you know, uh, rahim and kinship. So the people who are related to you, you have to feel more responsible. The people who are in your neighborhood, in your local place, they are also to be remembered more. Because again, if I live in a city, for example, I live in Toronto, and then in Toronto, you know, we have poor people in our community. So I shouldn't forget them and say, okay, I help someone in, for example, in another part of the world, and hopefully someone from another part of the world come and help these people. It's not wise. We have to find the shortest route. So everyone should start with sorting out the problem locally. Of course, we sort the problem locally, and then the extra, we send it to other parts where we have you know, members of our community that are in need. And if, inshallah, we make sure that all people, you know, Meet, uh, needs are met, we can even go into helping, you know, animals, helping, you know, plants, you know, we can help, you know, many, many, for example, you know, uh, I don't know, historical sites, everything which is good for humanity, but as long as there is a person who is needy and he is a believer in God, you know, so the priority is to help this type of people. Of course, Sometimes, you know, you have a person who is not even a believer in your local, you know, for example, you know, community, and still he's in need of food or water, so you can help them as well. So what is important is that you have to be a source of blessing, a source of barakah, as Imam Ali salam said about the Shia. He said, our Shia are barakatun leman jawaru, wasallamun leman khalatu. They are a source of blessing for their neighbors, and they are peaceful with whoever is mixed with them. So we have to be a source of blessing. So you start first with your relatives and then with your local community and then with the larger community and the worldwide community and always try to see who is the one that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to help him first. You do not have any selfish reason to helping people. And also, you have to remember that it's not only food and water or medicine which matters. People's understanding of their faith is also very important. So don't say, I only want to give food. Sometimes to give books, sometimes to spend money on running a course, sometimes spending money on organizing a camp for the youths can be also very useful. So charity is not only to fill the stomach of people. Charity can be to educate people. Charity can be for enlightening the heart and mind of people. Uh, okay, that's... Uh, okay, it seems that there is no question. Question is, Assalamu Alaikum, it's always a pleasure to see you. It's always also a pleasure for me. Even if I am not able to see you, it's a pleasure for me to be able to be with you. So... Uh, The other thing is that how can we know that shaitan is not our, you know, uh, kind of push or a kind of, you know, power to push us to do something. Yes, a moment is always worried. A moment can never say, I am 100% sure that I have defeated Satan and Satan is not deceiving me. 
to be able to make sure that Satan is not playing with us and Satan is not using us, we have to use certain methods. One method is to ask other mu'mineen why we always should you know, be in the process of consultation, seeking advice, tawasaw bisab, tawasaw bilhaq, or another place, tawasaw bisab, tawasaw bilbarhana. So, maybe sometimes my mind is confused, sometimes maybe the truth is clouded, but I can ask my uh, brother or sister in faith, my alim, so that they can help me. I can benefit from the experience of other people. Also, we can always also be thinking what is more likely to be selfish you know satan doesn't you know come and ask us something which is not selfish normally satan asks us something which is selfish but gives it good names so it's a selfish idea but says no you have to do it for the sake of your community for the sake of your religion for the sake of i don't know this or that but in reality it's not for them it's only for my selfish ego so there are many things that we have to observe, but <clears throat> in the long term, if we want to be safe from Satan, we have to have taqwa. That is the only protection. Taqwa is the best protection, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Those who have taqwa, when Satan go around and meet them and want to touch them, they are alert. So taqwa is the best protection and shaitan never can deceive a person who is muttaqi. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inshallah grant all of us taqwa. May Allah keep us away and safe from Satan and the temptations posed by Satan. May Allah make this great occasion of Mab'ath, the 27th of Rajab, a very blessed occasion for you. May Allah inshallah raise us also to be his chosen servants and at his service and the service of truth, the service of his people. Thank you very much for your attention. Wa asru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.